Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. So, um, this is the, the third in this um, series that I'm calling Sacred Activism. And as I've mentioned uh, last week, <clears throat> that term I've been using from um, Andrew, Harvey's, um, Andrew Harvey's teaching, and particularly um, from his book, uh, really wonderful book, The Hope, a guide to sacred activism. And I was moved to, uh, to give these talks uh, just because my own practice, I um, have been trying to sort out how to, uh, to bring my Dharma practice to, um, to the news. And I, I don't want it to be a, a political discussion. Um, uh, I did talk, for those who weren't here, uh, the first week, uh, which I, I called um, uh, the line between uh, politics and uh, moral, moral imperative, uh, where I was just reflecting on uh, without getting into a uh, any kind of campaign uh, debates or speeches that uh, uh, there are some things that call for our response, even if that line might be a little bit um, uh, delicate for people who come to hear the Dharma that uh, when hate is being stirred up hate and fear um, that um, one has to say something uh, about it and that it is, it's not a, so much a, a political philosoph- philosophical uh, debate as much as uh, one needs to speak up in the face of, of hatred. Um, and my own sorting out with this crazy um, um, political season that's happening and world events. So that was the the first talk a couple of weeks ago. And and last week, uh, the the second talk, which I called um, We Don't Know What We Don't Know, and uh, um, focusing on the humility that we that we're called on to keep coming back to in uh, our assumptions that we know how others feel or we know what's going on in somebody else's mind or heart who might think very, very differently than we do um, and even be caught up in that hate or anger or fear that... um, Everybody is walking around in their own reality, and if we're to have any kind of a, 
uh, bring a, a Dharma understanding to hold it without getting reactive in ourselves, we, um, it's important to remember that we don't know what's going on in someone else's mind. Um, and there are many people who might be doing things that make little sense to us or causing real um, um, hurt out of their own fear or their own uh, anger. Um, and that that is another aspect of our Dharma practice that, that we really need to uh, uh, be humble about. As the Buddha said, um, attachment to views um, is, is a cause of, of great, uh, great suffering. And we have our views and we need to stay connected to what the truth is for us and, and be courageous in our actions, but not from a place of self-righteousness or arrogance. Uh, and I, I love that line. I quoted it last week from Martin Luther King, uh, where he said, um, we have no moral authority over those who can feel our underlying contempt. Um, so looking at humility as a very uh, important element of digesting events and coming out, still keeping our heart open. And tonight I wanted to um, explore together with us uh, working with anger and frustration that can naturally, easily arise as we see greed and hatred and confusion, delusion, uh, causing such tremendous suffering, we get angry, we get frustrated, we can despair, we can feel a sense of hopelessness, we can have all kinds of reactions that our heart tightens up around. And I wanted to uh, explore this as Dharma practice and whatever is going on that touches that, touches that in the news uh, is just giving us also a chance to explore in our own mind, our own life, when anger or frustration arises in our own interpersonal relationships. Mm-hmm. So first, uh, it's important to just acknowledge, how can we, uh, is it realistic to say that we shouldn't have anger, we shouldn't react with anger when something touches us that, um, that really um, triggers strong response? And... Um, I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to come across saying, "Oh, you should anger is bad, and you should not. You should not be feeling anger." And sometimes, good Buddhists have that idea. Oh, if I'm a good Buddhist, I won't get angry. And I, I mentioned there's a, that, a famous discourse that the Buddha 
gives called the simile of the saw, where it's the highest bar one can Im- I can imagine, where he says, even if somebody is sawing off your leg, you should be cultivating a heart of loving kindness. <clears throat> a pretty high bar. <clears throat> And it's something, it's something to um, aspire to, to you know, keep in mind, wow, what, what a mind, what kind of a mind could, could be open that much and coming out with compassion that much when somebody is causing harm to us. Um, and if you're a Buddha or if you are very free and very awakened. Um, I believe it's possible, actually, reading all these stories of some of the Tibetan captives um, uh, who were imprisoned and tortured, so inspiring. There's one, I, I, I forget um, his name, but he, he was, he was uh, he's a very high being and a, a, a very inspiring teacher who uh, was a captive in the, uh, of the Chinese for many years and, and went through lots of torture. And he said the, the scariest moments were those moments where he felt that he was losing his compassion for his captors. That was the hardest part. So it's possible But it's also human to feel what you feel. So along with not suggesting that uh, you not have those reactions, to hold them in a Dharma context where the anger isn't destroying you, where your humanness is activated, but you're not at the mercy of your anger. As Julia Butterfly Hill, who I've, I've mentioned here before, uh, says, if, if, you're, if you're not angry when you are reading the news or seeing what's going on in this world uh, these days, then you're not awake, you're asleep. Uh, and she has actually a couple of really beautiful clips that I watched again uh, on YouTube. If you go to Julia Butterfly Hill, Anger, uh, and another one, Fierce Compassion. She, they were videos from when she came to the Awakening Joy course with me. Uh, one of really the high, high points of my doing the whole Awakening Joy uh, program. And she talks about how Anger is natural and human, but we don't have to live from that place where the anger is behind our our actions. And as she says, uh, like a tree takes in toxins and transforms them into into life and into... um, into growth, that we can do this. 
and that is the alchemy that, that the Buddha talks about too, that suffering can be a cause for a deep compassion to arise. <clears throat> and that when we're present, when we're present for our anger or for all the feelings that arise, then we're, we have a, a bit more possibility to transform it into compassion or to digest it where it doesn't completely overwhelm us. But it takes being present. And we can say, oh yeah, I know I'm pissed off. I'm present. Except uh, there's different ways that you can be present. You can be present knowing that you are having a meltdown and then completely acting out of that meltdown. Human enough. We, we can only be where we are. But then there's a whole other level of presence where rather than externalizing the feelings that we're feeling inside and saying they're to blame, if they were not here, I wouldn't be feeling this, which there might be some legitimacy to, but to go inside and say, oh, this is what's happening in here for me. How can I hold this? How can I understand this? How can I open up to my humanness and see just like those angry people that are doing awful things, here is anger within me. And the more I can understand how my own anger can get triggered, the more I can have compassion for how it gets triggered in others. And as Julia says so movingly, that um, we get angry, especially when we read about greed, hatred, and delusion, we get angry and frustrated and triggered because we care. If we didn't care, it would just be, oh well, that's too bad, and on to the next entertainment. But something grips us that um, activates that response because it's so disturbing in our heart. And what anger often is, is a way that we protect ourselves from feeling that pain. It might be very justifiable to feel that anger, to feel that outrage, but if we can go deeper underneath it and see, as as Pema Chodron talks about, feel that soft spot underneath, that soft, tender spot that uh, we want to protect, that that's where the real juice is, that's where the real transformation is. And when we see that anger is a protection from feeling that pain, uh, then there's a possibility of uh, working more skillfully with it. I love this, um, uh, this teaching that Michael Lerner 
who uh, is a rabbi, uh, very uh, radical and very um, courageous uh, social activist, uh, uh, religious, spiritual uh, leader, uh, he says that um, cynics are just frustrated idealists. I love that. Cynics are just frustrated idealists. There's a part of us, you remember when you were, before you were a a hip Berkeley or wherever you are listening to this, lots of people listen to it online, uh, sophisticated person who's been around the block when they're, especially when you're young, and that's why the, the youth movement is so, so important because there's still some idealism there, there. And I remember when I was young, and I hope I never lose the idealism, um, but where there's this feeling of, of course we have to do something. And then when you've been in the fray over and over and feel worn down and exhausted, that idealism can easily turn into, how could I have been fooled so much? I'm just remembering the old uh, Who song, We Won't Get Fooled Again. Great song. Great album. Who's next, by the way? We won't get fooled again. And then you become a cynic. And then you look at those who have who are have that idealism and you and you say, Oh, don't they see? What a waste of time. What's the point? And then we have unfortunately in our country so many people who um, don't care to cast their their vote. Was it in? Uh, I think in Brazil it is that, that. I was just reading, voting is compulsory. You have to vote. In Peru also. In Peru also. Uh, if you don't vote, you can't get your passport re- renewed. What? A different country this would be if everybody did their civic duty and voted for what their heart says is right or true. Because there's probably many more good people wanting to do the right thing, the right thing in this sense being as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, doing no harm and acting for the good, for the greater good, be a very different landscape. So when we can get in touch with that soft spot that really cares, that's not been... um, Mm, overrun with cynicism, then we're coming from a place of love 
and our actions are uh, not only much more effective and, uh, and feeling connected within ourselves, but so much more magnetizing, appealing, because we're, we're, hum, human beings are contagious to the energies around them. And when we're around hatred, it's easy to get stirred up. You know that, that feeling you ever get into a, you're, you're having a, a fine day and somebody talks about how pissed off they are at, uh, at, at some events and then it triggers you, yeah, me too. And before you know it, you're kind of, you know, both stewing. Um, natural enough, and it's important to talk about these things, but if you're just stuck in anger and hatred, then nobody is winning. Then there's just more anger and hatred in the, in the stew. But if you can transform that frustration and that anger into uh, deep caring, then it turns into uh, what Julia calls fierce compassion. This is also a term that Trungpa Rinpoche used to use. Fierce compassion, as opposed to idiot compassion. Trungpa used to talk about idiot compassion, where it's like, oh yes, they're, you know, they're walking all over me, but they, they, uh, you know, I, I need to understand why they're doing it, and uh, you know, you can be enabling and all kinds of uh, unskillful responses but fierce compassion can be very needs to be very strong and powerful and courageous but it's got to come from uh, a more sustainable place than anger and hatred hatred does not cease by hatred as the buddha says we've said many times hatred only ceases by love this is an ancient and eternal law and although anger can be motivating, it can get us going, and it has its value, it has its power, it's not sustainable in the long run. We get exhausted and burned out and become cynics. But instead of that anger, if that, movement of the heart that's coming from caring fierce compassion is that you feel passionate but the heart remains open the heart remains um, and the mind becomes understanding that the real villain is is not seen clearly or people who do things out of out of ignorance <clears throat> the gandhi's Gandhi's beautiful teaching on the truth force, satyagraha, where you're standing in the force of truth when you have truth on your side. It's a very powerful, unstoppable force. The same force that 
got Nelson Mandela through 27 years in Robben Island and became an inspiring leader, changing his own hatred into, into love, or Martin Luther King. That force of being connected with the truth, um, your, all your caring and all your passion goes to um, a powerful response that is inspiring. So, um, it's important to acknowledge and allow yourself to feel the anger, not pretend that you don't have it, and feel the pain under, underneath the anger. Um, as uh, There's a, um, a wonderful book I, I, I recommend to people from time to time. Uh, it's a collection, an anthology, a, a Jungian collection. Um, the, the title is Meeting the Shadow, and the subtitle is The Hidden Power in the Dark Side of Human Nature. Meeting the shadow, the hidden power in the dark side of human nature. If we, if we suppress our feelings, then there's a price to pay for that. Oh yes, I'm a good Buddhist and I just don't, I, I don't really want to let myself feel those feelings. You have to be able to feel it and there's a vitality that comes when you do. But before I, uh, I get into... Um, working with anger, I wanted to share a bit from um, Shantideva and uh, Pema Chodron, particularly in her, her fabulous book, No Time to Lose, which is um, her, um, her teachings on Shantideva, who wrote the, Bodhisattva, the Guide to the Bodhisattva's Way of Life. Is an excellent book, and I, I did a series of talks on these a number of years ago. Uh, but here's um, one section of this book, Shanti Deva's book, which, by the way, is the Dalai Lama's main uh, main practice teaching. This is what um, what his teachings on compassion are, are are based on. So it's a pretty good source. And he has a whole section on working with anger. And I wanted to read some of, of Shanti Deva's um, teachings on anger. And he is a very fierce, compassionate teacher. He's fierce uh, towards himself. He, it's, it, he's talking to himself. This is a teaching to himself, looking at, all the ways that his mind gets lost and is a kind of like a um, mm, mm, argument with himself or coaching himself saying, come on, get with it, guy. Uh, and in the process, he's sharing uh, the teachings with, with others for them to see their own minds. So there's this whole section on working with anger. And I'll read a little bit of it so you can kind of see that it might be a good idea to to figure out how to work with it so it doesn't run you. This section opens up. Good works gathered in a thousand ages, such as deeds of generosity or offerings to the blissful ones, a single flash of anger shatters them. 
Whoa. What does that mean? Good works over many years, a single flash of anger shatters them. Now, you can be really paranoid in thinking, oh my God, you know, I better not lose it or I'm, I'm doomed. But what he's, what he's saying, and, and Pema Chodron kind of explains this in a, in a beautiful way, you can be really a loving, wonderful, uh, kind, generous person, basically, and have very warm relationships, but if you lose it and direct your anger towards a loved one, say, particularly, and the distinction here, he's often uh, talking about hatred rather than just getting irritated and annoyed, where you do something that's hurtful from that place of anger, that trust can be broken. And it takes a lot to rebuild that trust. Maybe you can think in your, in your own life, people that have been close to you and some, somehow there was a falling out or they snapped at you and it's taken a while to feel safe around them. Or maybe you've lost it and click that send button on the email, you know, and afterwards you say, what was I thinking? Oh my God. And there's so much cleaning up to do afterwards. Just a single losing it, there's a lot of cleaning up to do. That's the point. Okay, with me? Mm. No evil is there similar to anger. Anger, And again, when you think of, of this anger as hatred. No austerity to be compared with patience. Steep yourself, therefore, in patience, in all ways urgently, with zeal. And the word evil, in this case, means to intentionally cause harm or to take pleasure in causing pain to someone. That's, there's, there's a great karmic price to pay for that. And so this is, this is a, a, a teaching on patience as much as anything. Restraint in acting out the anger that you might feel. <clears throat> Those tormented by the pain of anger, and again, you might substitute hatred, will never know tranquility of mind. Strangers they will be to every pleasure. Sleep departs them. They can never rest. When somebody is embroiled in hatred, how painful it is. <clears throat> Noble chieftains full of hate will be attacked and slain by even those who look to them for honors and possessions. That means you might have power over someone or over many people who look to you for, for support or for sustenance, 
but you won't, you won't have their love. And of course, the prime example of this is uh, somebody who's an abuser. The, the, the victims might need the support or protection of the abuser, but they will, uh, they will never really be giving, the abuser won't get love, true love. Mm-hmm. From family and friends estranged and shunned by those attracted by their bounty, men of anger have no joy, forsaken by all happiness and peace. Men of anger have no joy. It was interesting, I don't know if you saw it, and this is the only time I've mentioned somebody in the political sphere when I was talking about moral imperative um, is uh, Donald Trump. And there was a, a David Brooks uh, wrote, a, wrote quite a, a um, powerful article um, this past week. And he was, uh, I saw him on, uh, I love Shields and Brooks on NewsHour every Friday. And he said that um, What's striking about Donald Trump is that um, there's no love in there. There's power. There's, there's self-righteousness. But it's loveless. There's no love and there's no real joy. That's a big price. All these ills are brought about by wrath, our sorrow-bearing enemy. But those who seize and crush their anger down will find their joy in this and future lives. And he says, crush their anger down. Uh, the Buddha has these, also these images because the Buddha was, a, was from the warrior caste. And so he has all of these images in one, one discourse that maybe some of you, maybe some of you have heard uh, where he says, uh, if all else fails, when you're really disturbed by your thoughts, then he has a number of dis- different strategies. And then the final one is with, with clenched teeth and tongue pressed against the roof of the mouth, One should crush mind with mind. Very powerful image. And that is saying, no, enough. Tough love. No, I'm not going to be giving into uh, these unwholesome acts. But it can't be done with anger because that just comes, comes up and bites you anyway. But Shanti Deva says, to overcome our sorrow-bearing enemy, those who somehow subdue anger will find their joy in this and future lives. Then he talks about the cause of anger, Shantideva. He says, getting what I do not want and all that hinders my desire, there my mind finds fuel for misery. Anger springs from it, oppressing me. So, getting what I don't want, you can relate, right? 
Therefore, I will utterly destroy the sustenance of this my enemy, my foe, whose sole intention is to bring me injury and sorrow. So getting what I don't want and all that hinders my desire. So how to overcome that enemy? Don't let wanting run you. And then this beautiful teaching. Check out this logic. If there is a remedy when trouble strikes, what reason is there for despondency? And if there's no help for it, what use is there in being sad? Basically, if you can do something about the situation, then good. Don't have to get worked up. And if you can't, why drive yourself crazy? Makes sense, right? Easier said than done. We know this. Pain, humiliation, insults, or rebukes, we do not want them either for ourselves or for those we love. But for those we do not we do not like, it's quite the opposite. So we wouldn't want ill things and bad things to happen to us or those we love, but when it comes to somebody that we don't like, how human. We're talking about being human. He's saying, just look at that, you know, to want ill will for someone, what the mind and the heart is caught up in to wish somebody ill will and pain. The cause of happiness comes rarely because we're so caught up in our wants. And many are the seeds of suffering when we're completely self-absorbed. But if I have no pain... This is an interesting one. If I have no pain, I'll never long for freedom. Therefore, O my mind, be steadfast. He says, even though we don't want pain, when we do have pain, we are looking for a way out of our suffering and actually can be a source of awakening just to see, in fact, to see, oh, how painful this anger feels then we're motivated to see another way. Let me see a little bit more to, to read. There's nothing that does not grow light through habit and familiarity. Putting up with little cares, I'll train myself to bear with great adversity. So he's saying it's actually possible to train our minds and our hearts in patience, in acceptance, in opening up to what's here. And he says, start with little things. Start with little annoyances. You know, you don't have to go for the 100-pound weight and say, I'll never feel angry at 
Donald Trump again or whoever, whatever it is, you know. But little annoyances, they can be practices. Oh, let's see if I can be with this without getting set up, you know, making, making mountains out of molehills. When you've got a molehill, oh, use it. Oh, this is a little bit of an annoyance. Hmm, okay, it's a five-pound weight. Maybe I can, I can just hang out with there. Hmm, I survived that annoyance. And he says, this is how we can train ourselves, little by little. Hmm. When sorrows fall upon the wise, their minds remain serene and undisturbed. For in their, for in their war against defiled emotion, many are the hardships as in every battle. Hardships strengthen us and give us courage to see we can make it through. Every injury, whatever, the whole variety of evil deeds is brought about by circumstances. None is independent, none autonomous. Everything arises from causes and conditions. And this is one of the the real um, gifts of the Dharma. Instead of blaming that person doing that, thing, seeing that person is the product of their lifetime of habits, is the product of their own conditioning that they've experienced, as I am of mine. So when you see it's all causes and conditions, all causes and conditions, then you kind of remove the blame. Trungpa Rinpoche, again, I'm thinking about Trungpa tonight, it's Tibetan text. Um, he wrote this book, Dharmas Without Blame. And I remember on one, um, one retreat many years ago, I went through my family history. I thought I had gone through my family history as many times. This is after I'd been practicing for about 30 years, so I, I thought I had knew the score. And, uh, but I went through my family history in a way I'd never done before where I could see all the things that I was annoyed about from my, my parents and then I saw their parents and then I went back and back and back and back and I saw how I could imagine how it just perpetuated over the generations all the habits that came down to me and that I've acquired in my own way. And it was this very moving moment where I just saw the whole, the whole show of generations. Hmm. There was this movie, Goodbye, Mr. Chips. Then the, uh, the, the original Goodbye, Mr. Chips, you see at the very end of the movie all the generations of students that, that Mr. Chips uh, uh, taught and I'm just 
I was seeing in my mind the generations of my ancestors uh, in slow motion. And this title, Dharmas Without Blame, came over the whole picture. Dharmas Without Blame. I'm getting goosebumps just remembering now how everybody was just doing the best they could. And to see causes and conditions and causes and conditions um, there's something that can shift in that. So that might be enough for, for now. So the idea is to, uh, to work with anger. We can work with it and honor it and feel the power that's in there and uh, not get caught in denial or paralysis or despair but let that anger be a, a kind of pointer to the aliveness that's underneath. Mm. How to work with anger? Well, the most obvious response is cultivating loving kindness and feeling self compassion for the ways we get confused and lost, and also compassion for the ways that others get confused and lost. And you can practice it. You can practice it. Not so that you're a saint, not so that you never never lose it, but just for your your own heart, your own peace of mind, it feels so much better than holding on to that hot coal. You know, that image I, I've mentioned here before, the Buddha has this, this image of holding on, to a, uh, holding on to anger is like picking up a hot coal and throwing it at somebody, at somebody to, to hurt them and not realizing you're the one that's getting burned. Mm. And it can, it can change. And I was just... Uh, speaking to a friend earlier this week who was, was sharing about how uh, in, in her own heart she had had, her heart had been closed um, because there was an estrangement from her, her mother and her, her brother who uh, was addicted and, uh, and doing all kinds of awful things and the mother was enabling uh, the brother and she could no longer be around around uh, her mother and brother, and she cut off all contact with them and Then she was realizing that her heart was closed, and so she decided to uh, to do some loving kindness just for her own practice to learn to open her heart and every now and then uh, she'd she'd start to feel a little bit of a, a softening, but it was hard. And then at some point, she, um, she wrote her mother uh, a card and said, if you'd like, I'd be open to speaking to you. And uh, as she was doing her metta practice more and more, the mother called her and they've gotten back together again. 
And now they are connected. To not put someone out of your heart, this is a this is a an instruction that I've had for for many years. As hard as it might be, there's such a price to pay for for closing your heart, even to to those who um, who hurt us out of ignorance, and we might not be ready to open our hearts. We have to go through the pain and the trauma and the grieving and the but to know that there's a price to pay when we have our heart closed in in hatred. So, as you're reading the news, just as a, a kind of extra credit practice, your Dharma practice, see if it's possible when the anger naturally arises to breathe through it, to allow it, to hold it with compassion, but to not get poisoned by it and to see hatred never ceases from hatred. Hatred only ceases from love, an ancient and eternal law. So we just have a few moments. I don't know if there's any comments or um, things that anybody wants to ask or share. Oh, yes, Eunice. Uh, um, First, I want to make a correction to statistics I gave last week. Um, Mm. I think I heard your question with an emotional mind, and what I meant to say was uh, when we talk about the number of uh, Bosnian um, Muslims who died, it's 100,000, not 8 million, but the total of people who were affected by the war from all parties were 8 million. And about 45% of those 100,000 were people who died with a single shot from a sniper. Um, and the, the article that I sent you about from the New Yorker was exactly the PTSD that people from Bosnia are living with because they all lived under many years of being killed by a sniper in Kosovo. Mm-hmm. And just, um, so I just wanted to make that correction, but I appreciated your talk about idealism. Um, the character of our country changed tremendously in the last 15 years. It's not the country that I immigrated to. And I came here as an idea, uh, with the ideals that really make this country a great country. But it's not a country that, I rec- that we recognize anymore. It has changed completely. Mm-hmm. This country. This country. Yeah. The United States of America. My second home. And, uh, and it's, it's, it's quite, I think, some of the source of anger is change. Change that we're very powerless over. And um, it's so fascinating that when... Uh, the lion Cecil was killed, there was so much outrage in the world and in this country about that, which I agree with. But when Citizen United ruling happened, which completely changed the character of this country and the political process, we did not see 
the same level of outrage from the people. Uh, the outrage goes into what we call social media. Everybody just uploads and, and, and just loads their anger on Facebook and whatever, but nobody really takes it beyond that limit. So we become so... Um, the nature of anger is just very interesting. And as you were talking, I just something occurred to me. What makes, what makes ISIS successful and Donald Trump successful, they are both tapping into a huge energy of anger. Mm-hmm. disfranchised yeah. people who are incredibly angry right. and they exactly found the right people to talk to mm-hmm. and it's yeah. working for both of them. Yeah. And it's so difficult to sit with that reality and not be affected by that level of anger because if we don't do anything, the character of our country and the world is continue to change. Mm-hmm. So it's, 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 a quite a, it's quite an interesting place to be. Yeah, very interesting, yes. I just... I, I, when I hear the words nobody and everybody, that's the one place where my mind snags. So I would just really encourage uh, shifting that from, uh, because there's many, many people who care. And the way that it works, the way I see it, is that uh, the the light brings out the darkness, and the darkness brings out the light. And we're in a, one, as I've shared here before, a race between fear and consciousness. And we don't know. It's, 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 it's I think, um, presumptuous to say, oh, I know where this is heading. Because there's never been as much consciousness as well as there's never been as much um, wanton destruction. Um, And when you say that this country is different than it was, this country has been founded on a lot of pain and suffering and oppression. And so those seeds have been in there all along, but it's also been founded on freedom and the ideals that brought you here. So that's why it's interesting times. This is very interesting times. And that's why Dharma practice is so incredibly important because we are part of that consciousness uh, that is contagious just as well as the darkness is. So I appreciate your comment. Thank you. Okay, it's, it's time to go. So we'll just uh, end with a short loving kindness. Um, and you might include anybody in your own life who you want to dedicate the merit of your evening to. May they be free of suffering. May all beings um, see through their anger and confusion and touch the place of goodness and love and share their love well. And may all know the highest happiness and peace. And may our coming here together 
be of benefit to all beings everywhere. Have a good week. Uh, oh, I'm I'm not going to be here next week. Kate is going to be here next week, um, giving the talk. I'll see you in a couple of weeks. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org/donate.